One day, when I was about 10 years old, I noticed my sister Roz furtively slipping a tiny key under her jewellery box in her bedroom. Returning later, I was delighted to discover it was the key to her five-year diary, by this time more than half complete. Now, bearing in mind there were about 12 other people living in this house, getting a moment to sneak into someone's bedroom to read their diary was virtually mission impossible. But with a degree of stealth that would put Ethan Hunt to shame, I would find any opportunity to slink in and pour over the details of this top secret file. But here, my comparison to international espionage must come to an end, because essentially the only intel I discovered about Roz over the years was that the grapefruit diet was a hoax, Vicky, although a great friend, could also be a real bitch, and Gavin from St Mary's didn't even know she existed. Now speaking of Gavin, just as Roz's life seemed on the verge of becoming more interesting, her need to tell Dear Diary diminished. And by the spring of 78, her reportage had become so vague, I was always left thinking there was more to the story. Which of course leads me to Diane, who you may remember from episode 9. At the end of her tale of childhood trauma, she touched upon her own fucked up love story. And after reading your responses to it, I thought it would be good to delve a little deeper and find out more. Welcome to My Fucked Up Family. Diane, welcome back to My Fucked Up Family. Thank you, Paul. It's wonderful to be talking to you again. I find you relax me very much. <laughs> I need it. Well, I find I find uh, talking to you quite fascinating. So I, I'm glad that we're both getting something worthwhile out of the experience, Diane. And sure. the reason why we're having this chat today is because in your last visit to my fucked up family, yeah, your story probably raised almost as many questions as it answered and I've had a number of people contact me since then and just say what a wonderful story yours was and please tell us more about this whole circle of Marco and how you knew him so many years ago and now here you are so many years later reunited with him. Yes. So it's a really beautiful, beautiful story. And so I think it is worthy of its own episode, Diane, I've got to say. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thrilled that people contacted you. Take us back then. Why don't you tell me about when you first got married? Ah, okay. Got married in 65. 65. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to Bill. I had just finished my nursing school. Yeah. And um, where did where did you and Bill meet then? We met at a party in New York, and he had an interesting habit mm-hmm. that he, when he went to a party, he I discovered later, he would uh, check out the scene for who looked like the most interesting female there, and make it his plan to somehow dominate her. Oh. By the end of the evening. Right. And so, therefore, when um, Bill latched onto me that night, for me, that was just the most fantastic thing. But then, as time went by, I got to watch him do that again and again. And <laughs> one woman, he chased her around all night, and she was trying to resist. And she said, look at this ring on my finger. This is from my boyfriend that I was so in love with, and he died. And just leave me alone. And... 
I don't think he did leave her alone. Oh, oh yeah. And then we went to this party in London with uh, a very famous artist who used to do full-length portraits of film stars, and he was very sought after. And during that night, he said that he had a sort of mistress in a, in an apartment, and would I like to be his next mistress and I could go in the apartment? And I was appalled because I didn't know I had any problems then with uh, Bill because after he did his conquest, he was happy to be with me, so it seemed. So, But that night, he wanted to bring the artist's helper home, you know, the person who cleaned his paintbrushes, and Bill wanted to take her home. So we get in the car and I say to her, okay, I'll get in first and sit next to Bill because you'll be getting out first. And he said, no, Diane, you're getting out first. (laughs) And so that was when it dawned on me how things were going. And then we um, parted. So so Bill Bill proved himself to be a little bit of a ladies' man then. Yes, he did. And and what what, what did, (laughs) to say the least, and what what did Bill do for a living? He worked, first he worked for a big bank. Then he learned of a a friend told him that he was working instead of for a bank. He went to work for a corporation. In this case, it was Colgate. So Bill swapped over and into the international division because he was good at Spanish. But they needed someone in London. They probably thought Bill having a wife, he might be more stable or something. (laughs) I think, you know, that was the days of the Beatles and everybody just thought that being in London was just a dream. Okay, so after a while, you and Bill part ways and you're now on your own in London. Where where do you go? I went searching for an art school because I always had been doing some art and always liked art. And then I did find one in East Putney and then I looked around and found a nearby um, house that two two girls were renting and it was three bedroom place and they needed one more person so I went with them and but I was very horrified to actually live without any heating right and at night when when you go to sleep you put a coin into the uh, three bar heater on the wall but as soon as the coin drops it turns itself off and you can't put more than one coin in. At a so time, yeah. Handle that because if you, if you don't get to sleep, by the time the coin drops, you have to get out of bed and put the coin in there. <laughs> so, so when I saw the, um, Marco's advert just in this little deli on my way between where I lived and where the art school was, I rang straight away and then I, I was there. I think he told me to come that day and have a look at the room there's the last room left he and his brother had bought a family house and so marco had moved to london from italy with his brother then yeah and how long had he been there for he i think he got there even maybe up to five years before me right he'd been um he had a, a a very dynamic mother who didn't like her her boys to have girlfriends. She didn't like that. <laughs> so if he did have a girlfriend, his mother would uh, not really do much with his laundry, might sort of ignore his laundry. And 
<laughs> we didn't want to give any smiles and she had so many methods of letting him know she wasn't happy. He probably moved to London then so he could just maybe get a girlfriend without any of the grief, do you think? And and his brother had already gone there years before. Right. So he knew that even though he arrived with more or less nothing in his pocket. Right. Okay. So so you see his ad um, in the deli and you arrange a time to go and inspect the residence and you go there and is that the first time you met Marco? Yes. Um, and I just thought, oh, he's a nice guy. I, I don't think I had any designs on him, but I, you know, he's a pleasant person to deal with. Yeah. And, and, and age-wise, yeah. age how, how, what was the age difference between you two? I'm about four months older. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. there you go. All right. So, and you like the place. Marco seems pleasant enough, so you move in, yeah? And then I had to go back a few nights later to actually move in. Mm -hmm. And then when Marco came to the door, I said, oh, hi, Marco. And he said, I'm not Marco. And I said, oh, are you a twin? And that was the first I realized. But after that. Were they, yeah. were they identical twins? Yes. <gasps> Interesting, isn't it? So did they ever trick you by swapping identities for a night, Diane? Um, his brother, Massimo, is gay. Right. And Marco is not gay. Mm -hmm. And in that house, near virtually everybody was a former lover of, um, in all those rooms, <laughs> a former lover of, um, of his brother. Really? Because Marco hadn't been there that long and he didn't really know anybody. So his brother kindly filled the house with his... Old partners. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, that's so funny. That is so funny. <laughs> it it's, is. It's so great. So basically, they've got this bed sit, which is just filled with people they've either had sex with or they're having sex with. <laughs> yes, and then um, this was funny too. There was a guy there. His he was called Jean Louis. And he was ex extremely gay kind of guy, but that went then. And then Bill and his girlfriend at the time came over one night for dinner, and um, Jean Louis goes, "Oh, your lover and your husband, I'd like both of them," <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, oh that's funny. Okay, so but um, so was it was it very yeah. long? Had you been living there very long before you started going out with Marco? It's hard to say, but I I would give it something like three or four months yeah. before I moved in with him. The day that I decided I really liked him was that after we I'd been there about a month, he he went to um, everybody's room one by one, and he said, "Oh, I'm so sorry to tell you, but you know the central heating." The, the gas for the central heating is much more expensive than we ever dreamed, and we have to put the price up for your room. Instead of five pounds, it's going to be six pounds a week. And I said, well, I'll give you any money you want. I'm not going to give up central heating. Mm. So it's like the way he, he came to us because he could have been so much more uh, official about it. How long did you go out with Marco for then? Oh, that was like only eighteen months. Right. And what made yeah. you? What led to you breaking up? That was my parents. I mean, it was my immaturity. But the family had all come over to Europe, mm -hmm. and we we invited 
then um, I think I cooked and they all came, including I call Marco's brother Bro. So um, Bro was there with his partner and my parents and some of my sisters. And Marco, like his brother, it doesn't speak perfectly perfect English but when you're with him you think he is speaking perfect English because he just has such a a flair for the way he does it yeah and he's he's um he's he's pretty cool so Margo on the other hand you know he was feeling judged as as you might yeah and he he didn't know what to call my stepmother and he he called her madam and I don't know. I think, like in America, a madam is really a brothel. Yeah. Owner. So she didn't know what to make of that, and um, they they never said they didn't like him. They just indic. They just let me understand. Yeah. I should have been much more mature because I'd already been married and divorced from Bill. Mm. But I thought to myself, I said, well, it was easy to find Marco. It was easy to live with him. He was the most perfect partner i just so i just and the poor man i didn't even say why i just said i'm leaving and you left mm. and i left yes you, you moved out <laughs> i did i did i was terrible and um he didn't do anything for a long time oh, poor man but he had noticed a nice young lady that worked in the coffee shop and he thought well obviously diana's not coming back so they uh, got together and they um, had their child and they were together for maybe 30 years. So he went straight from you rejecting him, I guess, and yeah. got married and had a child and a partner for 30 years. Yeah. So he was yeah. he was very ready to settle down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He was, yeah. Yes. And so he could have quite easily had you not been sort of deflected i guess by your parents he could have quite easily been your partner for your whole life yes and also we 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 i did get briefly pregnant with him as i wanted to but it just um had a miscarriage so if that hadn't happened i'm sure we we had all these plans how we would run a child care center and uh, he he would work work on that and I would go I would get a nursing job and isn't that amazing Diane you just must sit back and reflect on that and just go fate has had such a hand in your life I mean in so many ways and again it's the touch of your um Freddie and his new wife just having an impact on your life like that it is incredible and at least though my stepmother was was so Oh, negative. At least my dad did say to Marco, oh, Marco, look after Diane. You will, won't you? And he promised him he would. So at least he felt accepted by one of them. Yeah. Okay, so you leave and you just think that happened so effortlessly that it yep. will just happen to me again, which is a great attitude in itself, I've got to say, Diane. And <laughs> then you meet John. What was the story with him? Okay, so John was working at the hospital where I'd been working for a long time. Yeah. And the the um, residents, they were, they were called a resident, when they um, had their job, they had to sleep up on the same level where our intensive care unit was doing 
bypasses, heart bypasses, mm-hmm. and had to be available if anything went wrong. And we all thought he was wonderful because he was extremely attentive to the patient and to anything that the nurse said about what she thought was going on. And you could definitely depend on him. And uh, at this, and he was going through a funny phase because he thought he'd met the woman of his life, but she decided she needed to go back to see her family in South Africa. And then she just didn't really come back. So right. so then when when one night he said to me, oh, I'm having a party. Would you like to come? And I, I said no because I was working. But then I found someone to change shifts with. And then I went to the party where his parents had come from Australia to meet this new, his fiance, who was in South Africa. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, it was like, you know, oh, you haven't come for nothing here. I've got another girl kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't put it, he didn't put it. <laughs> And, um, so you were the substitute. <laughs> yeah, and I had a lovely time that night because everybody was so fascinated that, that of the drama of John losing one, and but then there seemed to be someone else in the picture. So I, I was like, I felt like the queen of the night. But you, and, you, you weren't really you know, going out at that point. You, you weren't. You didn't have a relationship at that point, did you? No, what, that no? was our, our first moment. That, that was your was first date. Pretty, yeah. Yes, and so he was obviously he was obviously a lovely, charming um, man. Yes, and definitely, I knew that because my parents worshipped doctors. Right. So while. you knew you knew from um, John's CV that he would meet with the approval of uh, Freddie and Freddie's wife. Yes, and I was almost like, well, you know, here's your present. I'll be happy. I didn't ever say they <laughs> no. didn't. But when I saw how they were so thrilled, but but he actually was, he was really excellent. So when did your family actually meet John then? Going back to Bill, he his company had given him a, a ticket for himself and for me to get back home. And um, it, he gave it to me so many months later. And at that time they were doing some charter flights. So we, the both of us managed to get the round trip just on that one ticket. And then we said, maybe we'll get married. And then we did. When we got there, we said, you know, we're thinking we might get married. So you got married in America when you went back home? Yeah. And <gasps> we just did it in the sitting room with um, the man who, who was the, uh, able to marry us legally. His uh, partner was playing green sleeves on her recorder. It was very lovely. And only one sister was present. Everybody else was elsewhere. Well, you didn't give anyone much notice. Exactly, yeah. yes. So you come back to London at that point? Went back to London, yep. Stayed mm-hmm. there for about a year yeah. and then went to Australia. Had you started a family at that point or did you, that happen when you moved to Australia? Yes. Um, I was already six months pregnant on the plane. And so you moved to Australia and, and you start building your family then? Right. So then in 72 um, came the first mm-hmm. and then 74. Mm-hmm. And then three years later, the only male child. And then two years after that, um, Lily, the baby. So that's a fairly good brood, isn't it? Four? Were you happy with four? 
Yes, but I was scared of how to raise teenagers, for one thing. I know that was a worry. But um, when it came to being a mom, um, I found it really easy. And I found the babies easy. And, you know, whatever they wanted when it came to the breastfeeding, I would just oblige. And so they didn't have to cry or anything. And so I don't... I don't know exactly what the fear was. Obviously, fear of failure. Mm, was... mm. Do you do you relate that back specifically to how you were brought up? Probably. We know that now that you make me connect it, since I had so little time watching Duray be an actual mother, I I suppose it was a gap in my brain about how I would do it. And I must say, I did turn over, whenever there was a teenage problem, I would turn it over to John. Mm. And he and he was very good. And we, we went to family therapy once because we had some severe disagreements between a couple of the kids. John sounds like a lovely man, very even-tempered and level-headed. Oh, very much. Yeah, and he... He surely was. And so tell us about when you and John broke up and what, what brought that on. Yes. Well, we, we'd uh, bought a lovely farm in, uh, outside of Adelaide, which was my dream. And he was so uh, good and flexible and adaptable that he even went to take courses on how to have a herd of beef cattle and run the farm properly, and he was enjoying it. And um, then <laughs> another weird thing, <laughs> um, a couple that we knew they had this um, American cowboy guy called Webb that they that came to visit them from California, and we all um, had lunch together. And unfortunately, um, I was definitely infatuated with him, this man, and he'd gone back to um, California, but we were exchanging letters. And um, I just tried to pretend that there was nothing going on. But um, one one night when I was out, John started searching some drawers and he found all these lo- these love letters that I'd saved from this person. And he's extremely upset, and he had them all spread out in the bed when I got back. And he's and he was very unhappy. And he said, "Look, if you just tell me that you're going to stop uh, communicating with him, we won't worry about it." And I said, "No, I can't do that." <laughs> so we parted, and it was it was terrible because I thought, well, this is the best thing to do, but. For someone who's got a different aspiration for a marriage, it can be really, really heartbreaking, and he really suffered. And I, I was, I was taken aback, but that was what I did. And so, did you leave, or what happened? Well, we were still on that lovely farm, mm. and so eventually he started. He rented a place, and then the uh, farm was auctioned off sold and then I moved into the town and that's when we uh, parted but we just shared our we didn't have any court orders we just shared 
the kids. So once that infatuation was over, did you ever have that moment where you thought, oh, what have I done? I've thrown away my marriage? Or, you, or were they two separate things, do you think? Uh, no, I just felt carry on from here. But my biggest regret was how I had affected the children. But for having done the divorce, no, I thought that was still... Um, I didn't regret that. Yeah, you were doing the right thing because... Uh, for yeah. me, maybe not for John and the kids, but for me... During that time when you were married to John and, yeah. you know, obviously you had many happy times together. Yeah, But yes. your mind still drifted back occasionally uh, to Marco, yeah? Oh, yes. Yes. And how did that, how, what impact did that have on your sort of day-to-day life? Well, I just, like if we were, if the kids and I were walking along and um, if I would see a parrot, I would say, oh, did I tell you the story about Marco and the parrot? And if they were smart, they would have said yes, but they did let me tell them and friends the same, was that. If we went into this certain shop, there was a parrot. And in London, of course, it's never nice weather. And this parrot would say to everybody who came in, nice day, isn't it? And Marco would say to the parrot, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was hilarious. And, <laughs> and that's the kind of thing that everybody had to listen to from me. Right. So you always just had a little, for whatever situation was going on, you always had a little Marco anecdote. Yeah, probably not that that much, but yes, I certainly had plenty. Um, right, <laughs> I had, you know the one about the the poor man going up in the loft to get the pigeons, and then Marco shouts out, "Oh, by the way, do you have a rotisserie?" And he said, "Oh no, why don't say that? I don't want to eat them." <laughs> <laughs> and so, did did Marco sort of just become this character in your family's life? Yeah. I have this uh, good friend, Valerie, so she knew. I think everybody knew about him. And um, then I was saying, oh, I just wish I could contact Marco. And she said, what are you going to do? Mess up his marriage? <laughs> said, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, but, but I must say that my my goal then Thinking, I mean, I had no reason to. I knew he had got married after we parted, mm, mm. so I certainly wasn't expecting him to run away from his wife or anything. So I just thought it, I would just like to, you know, correspond with him. But then I didn't have any way to find him. I'd, I'd certainly typed it into uh, Google, yeah. but that doesn't help. Yeah. I found out there's a lot of people by that name in in the towns of Italy that I looked into. But seeing you weren't getting anywhere with your Google searching, you, your kids decided to intervene, didn't they? So because of all this storytelling, my oldest child was married to a French guy. He said, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to take on the Italians. And so he took the money from the kids. I don't know how much maybe a couple hundred dollars each. I don't know what, what it was. And he hired this Italian private investigator, and he's the one who took the details of Marco's birth date, birthplace, name of father, and found him. That is so brilliant. 
And and then how did they tell you that they'd found him? Okay. The first thing that happened yeah. was that my birthday rolled around in August mm-hmm. and I was given an envelope in which was all the details of Marco. I didn't know anything was happening. It was all behind my back. <gasps> so it was a birthday present right. that the kids gave you? Yeah. Yeah. They did. And and um in there it told of all these properties that he owned. And that how his um, nephew was heavily involved with him. A certain amount was inaccurate. Isn't that an amazing gift to give you? Yeah. And then the phone, I had a phone number and an email for one of the restaurants. But unfortunately, the, uh, e- the email box was full, so it couldn't accept any emails. But I had the phone number, so I would ring and I would say, is Marco there? And they would say, no. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> and uh, then he was told that somebody was ringing with my name. And so he said to them, okay, you can give her my number. But they never did. So, so after getting so close, you actually yep. weren't getting anywhere. So what did you decide to do then? So then... I decided to write to him because I had the address of his uh, seaside place. Mm -hmm. And I was visiting daughter number three in Sydney. And so to amuse myself, I would ride around the seaside suburbs and check things out. And I saw a cafe called Marco. So I went in there and I had a coffee and started writing to Marco. So... I sent this letter that at the uh, his seaside place, that in in that realm there's so much publicity that people are paid to walk the streets, stuffing into people's mailboxes. They're just overflowing here. It's really bad. So his box was overflowing with junk mail, and usually he tells me he would just take the uh, whole lot and throw it away. But that day he went through it. And there was my uh, letter. And so otherwise he could have just thrown it in the rubbish. Yeah, and you never, I, would have, you never would have heard anything. I wouldn't have known what to do about it because if, it, if the letter didn't get answered and the phone didn't get answered I, I don't, and the emails didn't work, <laughs> I don't know how I could have. Yeah, yeah. All right, so, so, so Marco gets the letter, as luck would have it. He gets the letter and yeah. he then writes back to you or does he phone you or um he wrote back mm-hmm. and he said it was just polite you know he just said oh it's nice to hear from you and you'd assume that marco was still married to the woman he married shortly after you abandoned yeah. him right i did i assumed that but that but wasn't I the le- case i learned that what had happened was that Unfortunately, Adela had died of cancer in 98. And then he had a partner who was one of his um, employee, employees who was very close to him. She, and she was just gorgeous. She, was, she just had the most beautiful skin, um, smile, posture, and clothing. She just looked so fantastic. Mm. But her downfall was that she just went in cycles of jealousy. And every month she would say, 
I know there's another woman. I know. And you say, well, how could there be another woman if we're together 24-7? How could I possibly have another woman? Nope. It will all be revealed. And then she would disappear, you know, and go and stay with her daughter and then if one of her three daughters. And then a few days later, um, the daughters ring up and they say, oh, mom's so sorry. She wants to know if it's all right for her to come back. So she'd come back. He'd say, yeah, it's okay. So come back and buy him a new shirt or something. And then, and then she'd be fantastic. She'd just be like a whirlwind of, of devotion. Yeah, she was very amazing. And she would never let him alone for a second. She mustn't have been able to cope very well when you suddenly appeared back on the, on the scene then. Well, Mark, and Marco, he was very honest about it. He said, look, I, I just, we're, if, we, when, if and when we come to Australia, I cannot. Um, let her know that you and I were together. So I am going to make up a story that there's a, a guy called Salvino that both of us knew well because I knew him when he came to live in Marco's house, even though he wasn't gay. <laughs> he was one of the first <laughs> of the new lot. He made uh, Salvino my, my former lover. So three of them come out to Australia on a holiday with, with your old friend Salvino masquerading as your ex. Right. Brilliant plan, Marco. And he said, and when I leave Australia, I will be leaving with Maria. So he's trying to make it, you know, really clear. That, and I understood because I didn't expect anything else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So therefore, I practiced all the things that I thought would help her not to get the the wrong idea which would be the right idea and therefore if I had gone down to collect the three of them from their hotel I'd always look straight at her I would never look at the men and of course I would always admire her outfit because it was always fantastic but despite but despite all the ludicrous efforts to put Maria at ease she was actually quite unwell during this trip wasn't she off and on because there would be times when she she was okay yeah right then one day he, when they'd been there about five days, maybe, just guessing, yeah. he rang me and said, she's got a really bad fever now. She's 38. And she, he said, um, I've been told by the staff to take her to Flinders. Well, I knew both hospitals, the big ones in Adelaide. And I said, no, no, we're going to go to the Royal Adelaide. They're the better one to me. So we went there and she got the most first class treatment you could ever get. And they were so wonderful. They got all native Italian speaking nurses and doctors to treat her. Wow. She never, never got an Aussie one. <laughs> and they had done this exam mm. with all the recordings of it on a CD to show exactly what was wrong with her. And then which was that she had cancer of the drainage of the liver. So then they put in a tube so that it could drain and they just, blasted her with every antibiotic known to man because they said we don't think you should fly home because she could die Mm. in the plane but her three daughters were desperate for her to come back so marco um got on the plane with her and he managed to get her back she was given six months to live so it was so um freaky very 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 sudden yeah. And so so, so she, then six months later she, she passed away, really. Yeah, she did. So after that tragedy, 
what happens with you and, and Marco. Okay, well, so Marco is the kind of guy that he really, really is close to his partner. And he was already tormented, of course, by going through all this trauma. And he just wanted me to come as soon as I could. But every we all know that that's not how the um, family would feel, that, that somebody else would turn up immediately. Mm. So I came a month later, and even then they were very upset. And, but he, he very sweetly said to the ones who would listen, he said, well, look, when you come home, in the evening, you've got your partner to speak to. You've got someone to comfort you and be with you. And I don't have anybody. And um, I, I really need someone. So when I arrived, I was supposedly there because Salvino had arrived. This is his great story. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> had had invited me. And now Savina had to go somewhere, so Marco had to look after me for a while, and then. That's that's a really that's a really preposterous story. If anyone believed that, (laughs) that's just a really lame story, Diane. (laughs) So I was swimming in the sea at his place, and the the daughter and her family were there, and the uh, daughter's husband swam out to me and he said, "Uh, "Diane, um, when are you going home?" (laughs) I said, "Oh." I don't know. <laughs> How much days a while, you know? So gradually they understood what was happening. Yeah. And what about um, what about Marco's kids? Oh well, they no, they were pleased because they, you know, and has the one boy, mm. but um, and his partner. That, but they were pleased because to them, they felt that Maria had taken. Marco away from them. They're sussing out how long you're going to hang around for, but you're staying there a while. Did you ever come home to Australia? I wasn't planning to go back, but it turned out that after three months, I had to go back to where I lived in order to apply to come back again. Okay, so you came back to Australia for your visa reasons, and then what, just applied to move to Italy permanently? Yeah, that's right. Right. Oh, that's just so beautiful. And did you and Marco get married or are you just living in sin? No. Yeah, living in sin. Right. Um, sometimes people say to us, oh, why don't you get married? But we figure, well, why, why do that? We just don't need to do that. And that's fair enough, Diane. You've had more than your fair, you've had more than your fair share of marriages, let's face it. But one final <laughs> thing we do need to talk about, when you and Marco were corresponding, yep. tell us what were his letters like? Well... There's one right here in front of me. It says, um, now, so we meet again, as in the picture you painted. Because one day, back in uh, the old days in London, he had it. He woke up and he said, oh, I had a dream that I was swimming in the sea and I swam past uh, a lot of people and then I came to you and I knew that this was the... uh, the the person that I was going to be with, and, I, and he wanted me to paint it, and I was going to art school, so I made it into a painting. So he writes, so we meet again, as in the picture you painted, I saw two figures there in the sea together, and then get lost in its immensity, but find each other again. So I thought, 
wow, he's put a nice spin on a terrible moment. (laughs) 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 I was very impressed, but that's the Italian um, nature, I think. They know how to make things sound okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then he talks about his family and his businesses, and then he says, my life was happy, fruitful. But as each rose has a spine, in 98, I lost my wife, Adela, who still saddens me. Over time, I found a companion, Maria, and we're taking another piece of life. Ah, okay. So it's all sounding quite poetic, isn't it? And he actually then did go on to write you some poems, didn't he? Yeah. And I believe you've got one there. So would you uh, kindly recite it for us, please, Diane? I'd love to. Where Mm -hmm. is it now? Oh, I know. It says, he's reflecting. He says, we've been together only a little moment in comparison with our lives. I remember moments, our meeting, the love we made, the painting of my dream you did on the table, the noodles stuck to the wall, and when you left me. We have not done anything important. We have not procreated. We had few moments in comparison to our entire lives. I wonder why these attractions. Perhaps we have found the girl and boy of 40 years ago. Perhaps. (laughs) It's too much, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It's really, it's so beautiful, Diane. And I'll tell you about that noodle. because Yeah, tell me about the noodle, yeah. He was cooking pasta, uh-huh. and he, he said, I have to check if it's done. And I said, I can, ch- I can tell you if it's done. Just give me a piece of the pasta. So he gave me one, and I threw it against the wall because I, I had once read that's one way. If it sticks to the wall, it's done. Yeah, that's right. He was astonished. And even when I left, uh, he got rid of everything else that reminded of me, but he left the noodle there <laughs> still there when he sold the property. <laughs> <laughs> What a thing to remember you by. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's fantastic. Is Marco there? Yes. I feel yes. like I should say hello and I might have to get him to recite a poem as well. Hello, Paul. Hello, Marco. It's wonderful to put a voice to the man we've been hearing so much about. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, uh, um, you know, she uh, appeared, she came back after 40 years. Uh-huh. And the astonished things was... Is just start loving her, and those forty years disappeared. I, I could not, I could not avoid it. So tell me what inspired you to start writing poems. You, you say that you'd never written poems to anyone else. No, 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 no. She said she was really giving me such power, um, such love. Um, it was just fun. It just come, come out for me. Okay, can I ask you then to to read the the one that you like the most? So you could do seeing the photo of Diana or opening the suitcase. I think that one. Ah, the opening suitcase, yeah. Oh, this is uh, Diane writing. It's terrible. <laughs> I don't want to start a fight. <laughs> All right, then I start. Uh huh. You want it to open the suitcase, and so the memories are gone. But fear not, do not run away. 
They only know us. Now they are free, all around us. They mingle with the memories of the past and more recent ones. They are pleasantly shocking the usual routine. With patience, we will get them back in place, one by one, but pay attention. The bag does not close if they are not returned to their place as before. Me in your suitcase and you in mine. Whatever you like it or not, they will stay with us for our lifetime. Ah. Oh, that is really really beautiful and really amazing that after all those years you'd be inspired to write poetry to diane yeah yeah it is after she left me after <laughs> she left you thank you mark <laughs> that's that is really what gets me is that he could be so kind after i was so mean not even telling him i was going there's, there's one here, Paul, I think I should read you. Yep, go on. Hit us with one. It came when he, he said, I'm sending you a photo of me, and can you do the same to me? And then he writes about the moment, and he writes this very well, as he would. He says, as I said, life is made up of moments, and looking at your photo was one of them. I could not look at the photo alone. I called my memories, and I told them that there was a recent photo of you. They all came out, waiting with a devout silence. I tried to imagine you. I thought I never would see a loved one after 40 years, and my heart sped up while the PC downloaded your photo. And then there appeared a sweet lady what emotion. I remained silent until my memories surrounded you and taking you by the hand brought you with them. <laughs> I think it's so great. I, I love it. And I, I love the sounds of, of you two. You just sound yeah. like the happiest people in the world. And, <laughs> and you, you probably deserve it. It's just worked out really well. Hasn't it? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think that's probably I think that's probably the biggest understatement. <laughs> yeah, it has worked out really well and I'm really happy for you. I don't know, you just make me smile so much. It's just been fabulous talking to you, Diane. Again. Thank you so much, Bye, Paul. Okay, thanks, Marco. I hope you enjoyed this episode of My Fucked Up Family enough to subscribe, share or like. And remember, if you have your own fucked up family story you'd like to share, contact us through our Facebook page. Until next time on My Fucked Up Family.